get your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number five. We'll be continuing uh, in our walk through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five will be in verses seven through fourteen. Glad to see each of you here. The last thing in the world that I would want is for anybody to get hurt or to uh, do anything that might uh, cause uh, undue danger in, in their life. Um, and at the same time, I think uh, it ought to be the heart, uh, the desire of our heart to worship the Lord. You know, sometimes it's easy to want to just... It's nice to have the idea of maybe we could just get rid of something out of our schedule and be able to stay home, and, and that sounds nice, but I don't know, for me, uh, worshiping together with God's people is just an immovable rock in, in my week. It always has been in, in my life, uh, and so my, my inclination is to say, let's be here if we can, never do anything that you would think would, would put yourself at risk, uh, but for those who would otherwise get out to go to work or go to a sporting event or a concert or go out to eat or go to Walmart, why not gather together with God's people if that's if that's you? If you're the type of person that would stay home, then by all means, uh, with no, no pressure there. Uh, but we do want to come together to worship God. And for me, when we don't gather together to worship, when I'm not in the Word and instructed from the Word, uh, there's, there's something in my week that just gets thrown off. And uh, so I, I love meeting with, with God's people. That's what we want to do today. We're in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 7. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know, I, I think that no matter how old you get, there's something that is scary about being in the dark. Maybe I'm admitting to a, a, a childish fear, and maybe the rest of you men are looking at me like you're kind of wimpy, but I'll tell you what, there's something that just sets you on edge when you're in the dark. I remember a couple years back, I was in Nashville, and I went to visit a friend there. He was at a conference, and we only had just a couple hours to, to be able to visit together, and I was in a hurry, and I needed gas, but I thought, you know, I'm going to go ahead and go to the conference, and I'll meet him, and as soon as I get out, I'll go straight to a gas station, and, uh, and I'll get gas, and it'll be okay. I mean, I was dead empty. And I went ahead and pushed, and I got there. After the conference, I pulled out of... Uh, the hotel there in Nashville and immediately somehow I made a wrong turn and got on to the interstate and it was in downtown Nashville there, there was no place to get off and I had to go one of those instances where you had to go several miles before you could get to the next exit well uh, unfortunately in my foolishness I didn't have uh, a few miles left to go I needed to get to a gas station 
immediately and I'm going down, uh, well that would be uh, I-65, going up I-65, uh, and it starts to sputter and I realize I'm, I'm about to run out of gas. I visited with this friend and we went to the last session of that conference in the evening, which was late at night. And, uh, and so it was, it was probably past 11 o'clock. We had visited after that, that last session. It was 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And here I am pulled over on I-65 in Nashville in the dark without gas a couple miles away from the next exit. And so I began to walk and um, there, was, there was no exit there. I mean, there, for, for several miles, but I, I could see that there was this hill and down the hill there was a road and there was a gas station down there. There just wasn't an easy way to get there. So I decided to walk down this hill and through these, this wooded area down to this gas station in what looked to be like a, a kind of rough part of town. And uh, I proceeded to do that and, and I got there. And at the same time, the whole time, I'm thinking this is how it's going to end, right? Somebody's going to jump out from these bushes and somebody's going to, somebody's going to kill me. Something bad is going to happen. I might have been probably concerned in the daytime, but something about that happening at night just took that up a, a couple notches, right? The level of fear and anxiety that was going through my mind and heart at that moment was greater because of the dark. A lot of times on Sunday mornings, I'll get here pretty early while it's still dark. And there's something just in the back of your mind when you walk into a dark building like this. Uh, nobody else is here. There, there's something that darkness does to us. Part of, us. part of that, I think, is there's a natural cautiousness that we have. God gave us good sense. You shouldn't go walking in Nashville in the dark and, you know, in the middle of the night uh, and something bad might happen. But, but related to this is the fact that we seem to sense that often evil things happen in the cover of darkness, right? Beneath all of this is, is the reality that we understand really that there are evil forces in this world. Evil does exist and the darkness of night reminds us of the darkness of this world. I think that's what's going on and really all through the Bible when we start to look at this idea of darkness and light we, we see that darkness and light night and day are used symbolically throughout the Bible to represent good and evil so we we see for instance in John chapter 11 where Jesus teaches that if anyone walks in the night he stumbles because the light is not in him and then later on in the book of, in the Gospel of John, we, we see Judas going out to betray Jesus. And it interestingly notes of all the details of what things you might have included in that. It says, and it was night. Judas went out to betray Jesus and it was night. You see the writer of John is including that detail because he's remembering what Jesus says. If anyone walks at night, he, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Light represents good. Darkness and night represent evil and, and corruption. In Ephesians, Paul says that we battle against cosmic powers over this present darkness. The present world system that we are in is darkness. It is evil. In the book of Revelation, heaven is symbolically pictured as a place of eternal day. In the book of Revelation, it says there is no more night. 
Well, what's the importance of that? Well, there's no more evil. There is no more wickedness. Then you consider the opposite of that when you talk about hell. Hell is described as a place of outer darkness. It's completely dark. It is a place of moral and evil, uh, or moral and ethical uh, evil. So through the Bible, darkness represents a, a spiritual, moral, and ethical evil that is the effect, really, of being separated from God. Why, why are people in darkness? Because they are separated from God, and God is the light. And it's pictured as a kind of ignorance or blindness. They're not able to see what is right, what is good, and what is true. On the other side, light is pictured as uh, a picture of spiritual knowledge, which comes from God, the one who is light, and enables us to see and embrace what is good and right and true. Now, what the Bible teaches is really that as sinners in our natural condition, as we are born, uh, we, we are in darkness. We're in the domain of darkness. Without God's saving grace, we are those who are in darkness, and we don't want to actually come to the light because uh, it will reveal the evil or wickedness of our deeds. One of the glorious pictures of the gospel, and there are there are different there's different imagery that is used to describe what happens in the gospel. But one of them is this very idea of light and darkness. But but Paul can say uh, in the book of Colossians that you have been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. In the gospel, we have been transformed from those who are who are darkness and who walk and live in darkness. To those who are light and who live in the light of God's glory. You notice this in, in our text this morning. This is the main imagery that is used in, in verse number eight. For at one time you were darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. If you are a believer here this morning, at one time you were darkness and now you are light. There's an experience of the gospel there's something that has occurred in you and, and to you that has transferred you from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now we notice, don't you see that this is a, an issue of identity? He doesn't say in verse 8, look again, that, does he say that you are in darkness? That would be a true statement. You're walking in darkness. You're in darkness as, as if, you know, we turn off all the lights and close the windows, put shades over the windows. We would be in darkness. That's not what he says there, is it? He says in verse number eight, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. I think what, what he's saying here is that this is an issue of identity. This isn't just a transfer from the kingdom of darkness. This isn't just coming out of, out of darkness that is exterior to us. This is the idea that apart from Christ, we are darkness. There is evil within our hearts. We are wicked. And in the gospel, God changes us fundamentally from someone who is in darkness and who is darkness to someone who is in light and who is light. He doesn't say here, uh, you, you found the light, you left the, the room of darkness, the domain of darkness, and came into the light. That, that would be true, and that is true. Uh, but he says, you were darkness and you have become light. You are now light. This reminds us, doesn't it, that, 
that Paul's going to give some commands here about how we ought to live. But what we've been seeing over and over again is that Paul's commands are always identity-based. They're always identity-based. He doesn't say, in other words, hey, start acting like someone who's in the light. Get some light and live by the light, and then you'll be... And, and, and then you'll be in the light. No, no, he says, this is what God has done for you. You were darkness, and now he's made you light. Now, based on that, walk as children of light. In other words, be who you are. God has changed you. You see, that's the, that's the proper order. And this is such an important reality that we need to get straight. Because so many people are trying to live the Christian life in, in which they become something that they're not. I've got to change my life. I've got to get straightened out and then I'll be different from what I am now. But that's not the way the gospel works. The gospel says God changed you. He transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You were darkness. Now you're light. Now, because of who you are and what God has done, just be who you are. Walk as children of light. It's identity and that's what Paul's been doing all along. That's what that's the way he always gives his command. So in verse number one, we see, right, be imitators as beloved children of, of God. God's your father. That's your identity. That's who you are. Now imitate your father. In verse 32, forgive as you've been forgiven. Identity, you have been forgiven. You, God's grace has washed over you. Your sins are forgiven. Now act out of that identity and forgive others. In verse 30, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. So live out that identity. Don't grieve the spirit that's in you. Live out that identity. And notice here, even this, this identity, you are light in the Lord. Through the gospel, in Jesus Christ, God has made us light. It's not just that we're in light or we walk in light. That's true, but we are light this morning. If you're a believer, something has happened in your life. It's something deep. It's not merely superficial. It's a fundamental change in your identity. And then the rest of your life is just living out that new identity. Well, the Bible presents this change in, in various ways. And in our passage, it pictures it as a change from darkness to light. Well, let's just think about why, why is it that we can be called light. Well, well, we're light because we're children of God and God is light. John 1, 5, 1 John 1, 5 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And now we're told that in verse number one, we're to be imitators of God because he's our beloved father. And so when we imitate our father, if God truly is our father, then we're going to be light as our father is light. We're light because, as I've already referenced from the book of Colossians, we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into uh, the kingdom of light, from the domain of darkness. That word domain is exousia, the, the power, the, the authority. You were once in the under the authority and the power of darkness, but God miraculously and sovereignly reached into that darkness and he pulled you out of the power, out from under the power or authority of darkness and he transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's why we are light. We're light because God has illuminated our hearts. Our hearts were once darkness, uh, but in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, for God 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, talking about the creation, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so God has shown in our hearts. We, we didn't see the glory of God. We didn't see the glory of the gospel. And then God sovereignly took his spotlight, the spotlight of, of truth, the spotlight of his glory, and he shined it into our hearts so that we could see his glory. And so we are light. We're light because God has caught us out of darkness. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This calling in the Bible, when God calls believers, uh, this isn't just a general call like, hey, if y'all want to eat, come in here and maybe they'll come and maybe they won't. When God calls someone in this way, the way this word is used, it's a powerful call. It's a call that, that affects what it is demanding. It, it calls us out of darkness and it doesn't just wait for us to meander and maybe we'll get out of darkness, maybe not. It's, it's, a, it's a call that, that, that gives us the power to come out of that darkness and, and powerfully calls us out. We're, uh, we're light, not only because of that, but we're light because we follow Jesus Christ, who's the light of the world. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And isn't it interesting, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then in another, in another time, He's talking to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, hidden. But just think about it. How, how can this be? How can Jesus say that he's the light of the world and then say, hey, you disciples, my followers, you are the light of the world. Well, think about this. If the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in us and if we follow the teaching of Jesus Christ and live as Christ, then the light that Christ has is a light that we share. We are the light of the world because we are following the one who is the light of the world and his spirit lives within us. We're also light because we live according to God's word and God's word is pictured as light. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, it's because of this, it's because of these realities that we've become light uh, and now the, the command that Paul says is, look, this is who you are. This is your identity. You're no longer darkness. That's not your identity anymore. You're, you're light. Now the command is this. Walk as children of light. Live out your identity. Be who God has made you to be. Don't go back and stumble around in the darkness. Don't turn off the light. Don't be as Jesus said. Don't be as one who lights a candle and then puts a basket over it and hides the light. Don't be that. Walk as children of light. Be who you are. Your, your new identity empowers your obedience. But listen, this morning, it's not without your effort. You say, well, if this is who I am, then I don't have to worry about it. I just, I just live and I do what I do. And if that's truly my identity, no. There's a command here. It's a command based in your identity. It's based in the fact that God has changed you. But it is a command, nevertheless, 
You are to walk as children of light. You are to be sure, Jesus said, you're the light of the world, but don't put a basket over your light. Nobody lights a candle and puts a basket over it, right? So be who God has made you to be. Live out that identity. Well, here's three ways I think that we can can uh, demonstrate that light. First of all, because you are light, you should produce the fruit of the light, that which is good and right and true. So let's read again in verse uh, number nine. Or verse, let's back up to verse eight. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In other words, if you are walking as children of light, this is what you should be producing in your life. This is the fruit. This is the evidence. This is this is what should be coming out of your life. All that is good and right and true. Now, this is a little bit confusing. You read this and uh, Paul is clearly uh, committed something that sometimes people will caution writers against. And that is mixing metaphors. He's talking about light and darkness. And then he talks about bearing fruit. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about light and darkness. Now we're talking about plants and bearing fruit. But I think the, the meaning is clear. Uh, bearing fruit is one of the clear ideas that, about our behavior as, as Christians. But, but basically what this means is this is the product of, of your life. This is the product of, of who you are. And so bear fruit. If you're light, bear fruit that is in keeping with being light. Your, 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 your action should be evidence that you are light and no longer in darkness. We know this, right? An, an apple tree doesn't bear bananas. There's something fundamental about its identity. It's going to bear, it's going to bear fruit, the fruit of apples, right? That's what apple trees do. They, they don't bear bananas. And that's what Jesus said. You'll recognize them by their fruit. He asked this question, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Anybody seen any thorn bushes grow grapes lately? No, I don't think, I don't think it happens. That's not its identity. That's not who it is. Or are figs, do figs come from thistles? So every tree that bears good fruit, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And what Paul's saying here is, okay, this is true of you. You're no longer darkness, but you're light. And you're now walking as children of the light. Your life is going to produce goodness, going to produce actions that are right, it's going to produce things that are true. All right. This is this is going to be what's growing out of your life. If this reality has happened to you and if you are walking in the light. So let's think about this. What, what is it that this fruit is and all that is good? Notice, first of all, that it's all that is good and right and true. There's a sort of wideness that comes to the kind of works that we produce. It's, it's any and every kind of, of good work, uh, every kind of good work, all, all good, whatever particular expression. In other words, I think what he's getting at here is wherever you see that there is good to be done, wherever there's something that needs to be right, where, wherever there's something that, that ought to be true, that, that ought to be what's coming out of your life. 
find that and then be the light that God has made you to be. Notice what he says also in verse number 10, just trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So as Christians, as those who are light now, we have to be, we have to be discerning what is good, what is right, what is true in this situation. All of us are in, in different scenarios, in different places in life. We all have different family members. We have different careers. We, we're all living in different neighborhoods. And, and so wherever there is good to be done, we need to discern that. Wherever there is right, wherever there is things that, that are true, we need to discern those, the things that are pleasing to the Lord, and we need to bear that kind of fruit. We need to walk in the light. You know, stop and think about this. So often, darkness prevails because those who know what is good and right and true are not willing to work for it, Right? They're like, oh, this isn't good, this isn't right, this isn't true, but I'm just going to sit back and complain. But, but as those who are walking as children of light, we ought to be those who are producing that wherever it may be. Factory worker, if you're in the factory, if things are not good, right, and true, you ought to be working for those things. If you're a school teacher, uh, if you're in the family, if we have mothers that are staying with their, their, their children, wherever, whatever realm you're in, you ought to be pursuing things that are good and right and true. And that ought to be a product of your life, no matter your, your context. You need to identify those things and then let your light shine. Don't hide your light under a basket. Don't let evil go unchecked. Don't say there's something good, but I don't have time or I don't, I, I'm not really willing to get involved in that. Let your light shine. Walk as children of light. Secondly, because we are light, we should be separated from darkness. So in verse 7, you see this? Therefore, do not become partners with them. I really need to read verse number 6 to get the context. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, remembering the, the sexual immorality that we talked about, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with with them. You see what he's saying here. This word partners uh, is a word that we actually have looked at before. It means co-partakers or sharers. The idea is someone who shares an inheritance. Like there's this inheritance and we're we're sharing that inheritance. We're, we're, we're co-partakers of, of this reality. It is used in Ephesians 3, 6 and that's when we looked at it before. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's the same word. Partners translated in our passage in chapter 3, verse 6, it's, it's translated fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers. And I just made a mistake there. It's, it's this word, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Is that word partakers uh, that is the same as our, as our text? But you get the idea. It's co-partakers. It's those who share in this. So what is he saying here? He's saying, look, the wrath of God is coming on these children of disobedience. So, so don't partner up with them. Uh, in other words, uh, there's, there's this inheritance that they're, that they're going to receive. It's the wrath of God for all of their wickedness. Don't join up with them. If, if you join up with them in their behavior, you'll also be someone who shares in the wrath of God that's going to come upon them. That's what's happening to them. Don't become a partner with them. If you join with them in their behavior, then you will share with them in their fate also. 
And then we see a second instance of this in, in verse number 11. Take no part, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Take no part, this is a word that uh, we get the word uh, fellowship from. It's a related word to, to fellowship, communion. In other words, he's saying here, have nothing to do with them. Don't be involved with them at all. Now notice the distinction, and I want to point out this distinction. When we talk about separation, notice when he says don't have anything to do with them at all. He's not talking about people, is he? He's talking about works. Look at verse 11 again. Look at verse 11. Take no part, have nothing to do, have no fellowship with what? With people? No. In the unfruitful works of darkness. So we need to separate ourselves and have no fellowship at all with the unfruitful works. When he's talking about the sons of disobedience earlier, he doesn't say have nothing to do with them. He doesn't say uh, build a, a convent and, and live there uh, and just bring yourself completely out of the world and just stay away, have nothing to do with the sons of disobedience. That's not what he says. He says at that point, when he's talking about people, he says, don't become partners with them. In other words, don't join up with them. Don't, don't get yourself entangled in deep relationships with people who are walking in darkness, who are going to draw you into darkness. You need to separate from them to that degree, but, but not in the sense that you completely stay away from uh, people who are, are not believers or people who don't know, know Christ. But when it comes to their works, when it comes to the evil works of darkness that they are doing, you are to have nothing to do with them, no fellowship whatsoever. I think that's important. Christians, we need to be separated from the world. Christians used to talk about being separated, right? It's the idea of being holy. Being Jesus says, come out from among them. Or, or in the book of, of Peter, God, God says, uh, come out from among them and be ye separate. You're my people. You need to be Distinct, but, but Paul makes clear in that, right? That he's not saying there, you need to just completely go out of the world. You need to completely cut off ties from everybody and not have anything to do with, with anyone. What he's saying there is you, you need to be distinct in your actions. You need to be separated from these evil works of sin. Notice, I'll read these passages, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater. You see the distinction Paul's making there. He's saying the problem is not that you need to completely cut ties with anybody who acts sinfully. If you did that, you'd have to go out of the world. Paul's addressing a particular issue in that passage. He's saying, I'm talking about those who bear the name of brother and who are living in unrepentant sin. You need to cut ties from them so that they might uh, be drawn into repentance. But separated, we do need to be separated uh, from anything that would draw us into participation in darkness. So Paul later says in 2 Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 
So, so in one moment, he's saying, hey, you don't have to go out of the world. You can associate with sexually immoral people. That, that's going to be impossible for you not to do that, right? And so, so that can happen. But he does say, don't be unequally yoked. In other words, don't, don't get yourself entangled in any kind of relationship uh, that, that is going to yoke you with those people. Uh, don't become partners with them. Don't become co-partakers uh, in their kind of behavior and in their activity. And so we need to be separated. You should not uh, get so close with someone who is drawing you away from the light and into darkness. I think an application point from this, though, is that we need to consider when he says that we should have no fellowship with the works of darkness. And as I contemplated this this week and studied this, um, I was convicted myself just thinking about you know the things that we take into our minds and hearts through media and social media and television and radio, the things that we listen to. I, I think this word here has some application for that, that we are to have no part and the unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, if we are watching things and taking things in that we're delighting in, when these are works of darkness, I think Paul would say we need to get rid of that. We need to have nothing to do with that. And then next we see that because you are light, you should expose the dark. You should expose the dark. Let's look again in verse number 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Shine the light on them. Now this is another step. This is a step further. And for some of you, you've been okay so far, right? Yeah, I need to be separated from darkness. I need to walk as a child of the light. I don't need to have anything to do, right, with the unfruitful works of darkness. That that all makes sense, and that's to a, a certain degree that's understandable, and I need to maybe I, I need to maybe work harder at that. There's some areas I need to tighten up a little bit. But but now this, now what are you saying? Expose the works of darkness. Now what are you talking about? That's like another step. Further, that's a that's a positive action that is commanded. So, so I, you mean I just can't just like walk away and ignore it and act like it's not happening and everything's going to be okay? No, no. He says expose these works of darkness. Let me read to you what John Piper said on this word because I think he hits the nail on the head. The word expose is used again in verse thirteen, where you get a clear idea of what's involved. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's verse 13. The idea is that when we walk as children of light, we will shine into places of darkness and cause the darkness to become visible. You see what he's saying? He's that there, there's light. We're light. And when we go into dark places, if we continue to walk as children of light into those dark places, things are going to get exposed. The light is going to shine there. Or to use the words of Jesus, he says, when we let our light shine before men, the dark works of men become shown for what they really are, fruitless and shameful. That's part of our calling. In John 3.20, we see this word again. Jesus says, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. When light is around, evil gets exposed for what it is. So the point, he says, 
behind this word is that Christians are called to shine the light of truth and justice and love into the into the darkness and bring evil to light for what it really is. I think the King James translate the, translate this to reprove, and uh, that's the idea. There is that when we when we walk in light, when we allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine in and through us in our workplaces, in our community, it's going to expose the darkness that is there. The, the evil is going to be seen for what it is. And as a result, there's a conviction that comes because of that. We need to be careful how we do this. I think Jesus is the perfect example of, of, of shining the light and being clear and direct about what is right and what is wrong, and yet doing so in a way that, that isn't off-putting uh, or, or isn't ugly or mean. You just think about the woman at the well. In Jesus' conversation with her, I'm always amazed. But obviously Jesus was so gracious to this woman that when he said to her, yeah, you have been married five times, uh, and he exposes her sin, she doesn't immediately get mad and, and blow up and run away from him. She is continued to be drawn into him. And so we need to, I think, walk that balance of shining the light, being the light where we are, wherever you are, <clears throat> not hiding our light under a basket, and yet doing so in a way that isn't, that isn't unkind or ugly or mean-spirited. And that's such a difficult balance, isn't it? But that's what we are, are called to do. And so I think we need to think about ways in which we can do this? What are some areas in which we can shine the light? Just some application points as we bring this to a close this morning. First of all, it needs to start with us. Don't go shining light around other people if you're not shining the light in your own life. If you're not exposing your own sin and repenting of your own sin, don't be that kind of hypocrite that can, that can point out the wrongness of others' behaviors but, but doesn't want anybody to talk about yours, doesn't want anybody to see your sin. We need to be willing uh, to bring our own sin to the light first. John says in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... That's what many believers do. I'm pretty good about that. Right? We're not saying, right, I know I'm not sinless, but my life's together pretty good. Right? That's saying we have no sin. That's, that's being unwilling to bring your sin to light. I'm going to keep it covered up. Like, we all know we have sin. <clears throat> that's why as a church we have to be willing to confess that sin to one another. Because the reality is it's here. It, it, it's among us. It's in us. It's in every one of us. And when we protect it, we're saying, I have no sin. I'm good. There's no sin here. We don't want to bring it to the light. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, that is, if we expose our sin to the light, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the first step. This is really the first step to victory over sin in your life is to confess it, to expose it to the light so that you might gain power over it. What about the workplace? After we've gotten our own house in order, after we've gotten the, uh, the, the beam out of our own eye, maybe then we have the ability to shine the light uh, in our workplace. I think of things like dishonesty. 
when dishonest practices are going on, like we, we should be the light. We don't just set that aside and say, you know, I'm supposed to be honest, but in this moment, uh, you know, I'm working for these people and they want me to be dishonest. So here's my light and the basket's going over it because I'm just going to hide my light. No, we're, we're to produce everything that is good and right and true. So in, in the workplace with dishonesty, what about when we refuse to engage in sinful conversation? Right? It's one thing, and, and sometimes this is the right response. When people are talking about things that are, are wicked and vile, the kinds of things that Paul says we shouldn't even have in our conversation, when those conversations are going on at, at work, uh, sometimes we can just disengage and, and get away from that. But but sometimes there's there's a point where we say, you know, I just don't feel like we should be talking about this. I mean, this is not good. This is, this is not something that, that is good that should be part of our conversation. You see, that's light exposing the darkness. In, in our family, as we parent, I think we need, to, we need to shine the light for our children to see. You know, for many of us, we just assume that our children are going to be believers, but, but the reality is most of them are not, at least at this point. They're in darkness. They have not been transferred from the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They need your light. And so as you, as they're facing issues of evil in the world, they need you shining the light and the truth of the gospel and of God's word into those issues. That's why, like, last week just preaching on, on sexuality. And, man, that's such a difficult subject to talk about. And, and I think for a lot of us as parents, we want to retract from that. We want to retreat from that. But, but listen, if your children are finding out, finding out about those uh, about the evil practice of, of sexual immorality and they're doing it in darkness, they're not going to have the light of the gospel, the light of God's word on that. We need to be sure that we're shining God's light, that as they're wrestling with those issues, that they have the light there so that they can see what is good and what is right and what is true. Let's not just pretend that evil doesn't exist. Let's just be, let, let's not be those parents that just stick our heads in the sand and just like everything's going to be okay. No, you need to engage those issues with your children and not just sexuality, but all kinds of issues. And, and you need to uh, bring the light of Christ to bear in those areas. In our society, I have much to say about this one, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to say it very quickly. And I'm not going to say everything that I have to say. Uh, but I'll just simply say this. In America, we have bought into a lie that says this. Your faith is your personal faith. And you keep it at home or at your church. And that's good. And, and you just be you. If you. Whatever you want to do on Sundays at church or whatever you want to do in your home to a degree, uh, that's acceptable. But don't bring your morals and don't bring your values into the workplace into the culture, into the school system, and into the political realm. Check those at the door. Set aside, you know, here, here are your morals. When you go to vote or when you go to work or when you go out into the culture, you just need to set those aside, get rid of them, and, and, and just act uh, as if you don't have those principles. That's what the world is telling us, and many of us have bought into that lie. Like, I'm just supposed to not be a Christian out in the world, Right? I, again, it, the, the, the illustration of being at work, like, well, this is what they want me to do at work. I don't really agree with this, but I'm just going to do it because that's what they want me to do, right? Uh, politicians do this, right? Well, I'm personally opposed to abortion, 
on, on a personal level, but I've got to set that aside because I'm a politician uh, for, for all people. Well, you see the insanity of that, right? I'm personally opposed to murder, but there are some people who want to murder, so I, want, I don't want to impose my values on those, on those people. We wouldn't say that. I'm personally opposed to rape, but I don't want to impose my personal values on others. No, we, we understand that there are some things that we ought to stand for. And, and remember, Jesus said, don't hide your light. That mindset that says keep your values at home is telling you to do the opposite of what Christ said. When, when they say keep your values at home, just let your faith be a personal thing between you and God. Don't let that involve or, or influence your politics or what you do at work or, or, or when you're at school. Uh, they're, set, they're telling you, you can have your light, just put a basket on it. And Jesus said, don't do that. And we need to be like Peter and James who said, look, you can say what you want, but we're going to obey God rather than men. When you go to the voting place, you ought to vote in line with your values. When you go into the school system, there may not be prayer or Bibles allowed in the school system uh, to a degree, at least from, from teachers. But, but you can't set those things aside, right? You don't lay aside your morality and your principles and your faith. When you go to work, you don't say, well, that's just work and I'm going to check out. No, no, take your values, take your light into those places. And when you do that, the works of evil will be exposed. We are light. If you're in Christ this morning, you are light. We need to walk as children of light.